Hello. This is Michael Stone, the host of We Earth Radio, where we have conversations that make a difference. We're committed to bringing you leading-edge thinkers in the areas of environmental restoration, social justice, conscious evolution, and spiritual fulfillment. In our programs, we look for positive solutions to local and global issues that leave you touched, moved, and inspired to action. Our weekly guests include local and global experts and concerned citizens working together to heal the wounds that separate, alienate, and marginalize people. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to We Earth Radio. My guest today is Lee Adams. He's been actively researching, practicing, and teaching lucid dreaming for more than 20 years. He has a bachelor's degree in psychology and is currently working on his PhD at Pacifica Graduate Institute. And he also runs the podcast Cosmic Echo, as well as having a dreamer community called Tail Eaters, which I'm sure we'll talk about. <laughs> Uh, he's also got a brand new book out, A Visionary Guide to Lucid Dreaming, Methods for Working with a Deep Dream State. So, Lee, welcome to We Earth Radio. Thanks for having me, Michael. Good book. to be on. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I was uh, excited. I've had a number of people through the years on, on this subject. Um, uh, I, my regular guy was Robert Moss. Um, mm -hmm. You probably know he's really a character. Yeah. Uh, and I can't remember the another person had one with almost the same book about five or six years ago, <laughs> maybe more. Anyway, uh, lucid dreaming, what is it? Let's talk about it. Yeah. Um, well, a lot of people define lucid dreaming, I think, in a maybe a slightly different way than I do. Um, lucid dreaming to me is essentially just having any type of awareness that comes into the dreams. So uh, in a sense of you're in the dream and you know that this in some aspect is a dream and, and that's pretty much it. That's the basics of uh, lucid dreaming to me. But, um, you know, some people take it a little bit further and say that uh, lucid dreaming includes like controlling the dream in some aspect um, or having different levels of uh, lucid dream experiences, such as like having out of body experiences or, uh, astral projecting and things like that. But I include that all into lucid dreams, um, not because uh, I don't think they're, you know, different experiences that you can have, but they do contain some level of awareness in them as well. So, you know, they're the people that are having them are, are lucid in the sense. So, and I, I don't necessarily include controlling a dream as being a requirement to be lucid because control to me is not necessarily a uh, having awareness it actually could be considered like um, having less awareness in a dream space so um, yeah so that's kind of the general overview of what a lucid dream would be yeah that makes a lot of sense um, interesting I mean I I just like showing up in my dreams I <laughs> I used to fly a lot I love flying in my dreams and uh, I guess that's my most of my lucid dreaming experience but it really drew me into it. What drew you into your, you know, your interest and research on lucid dreaming yourself? Yeah. Um, well, as a, you know, a young age, I had lucid dream experiences. I didn't necessarily know what that meant at the time. I just thought that's something that people have. And the only person I really could talk about my dreams with was either my friends at, you know, like a middle school, um, 
as a young age or um, and, and they didn't know either. Uh, none of us were really reading books on the subject. And also my my mother, who I tell my dreams to, and I think she was for the most part just kind of entertaining me with these uh, thinking maybe I was making them up or something like that. But um, she always encouraged me to kind of continue to dive into my dreams and look at more of a spiritual aspect to them. And, and so I, I continued to do so and ask questions about these dream experiences um, and just ponder them, you know, throughout my life. And as I got older, um, you know, I, I, I started having more um, extreme kind of dream experiences associated with like sleep paralysis and, and then out-of-body experiences. So um, that was pretty much a, a shifting point for me at that point is having kind of these more realistic lucid dream states. I used to call them super lucid dreams. And um, so in doing so, it really made me look at them in a serious sense because it was something completely out of anything that I could explain. And, and, um, and so when I had those experiences, it encouraged me to start researching about them. And, and also uh, finding people that knew more than I did about these dream spaces, the internet kind of opened up at that time in my life and became more available to people. And so, you know, for internet forums and things like that, where people are posting about these subjects became more popular. And I was able to communicate with other people and see that they too were having these experiences. So um, when I went to school for my undergrad, I really wanted to focus on dreams and interesting you know, enough, when you go to a university, you find that most of the psychologists have no concept of what dreams are or any of these experiences. So um, I managed to find somebody there that was kind enough to listen to me and, um, and wasn't in the philosophy department. <laughs> and um, they allowed me to kind of do a self-guided uh, class so I essentially bought my own books on the subject and wrote papers and communicated with them throughout the semester on, on dreams. And the professor really didn't know much. And so I was kind of his, uh, his pet project of him listening to me and me teaching him about what I had learned. And so, and, and in doing so, I, I found that that was one of the, actually the greatest learning experiences that I had because it was on a subject that I was very passionate about and, and also not a lot of people knew about it. So I was kind of paving a way in a sense and in my own mind, and then uh, continue just to do that throughout my life. So um, I was in the military at the time and uh, I was in an NROTC program. So I was, I was prior enlisted and, and I was going through like a commissioning program it's called. And so that's why I was at school. And I was given the opportunity to pretty much explore my own subjects. And, um, but then I was, after I graduated, I was back in the military. So it became very much a hobby, uh, studying dreams. And also, um, you know, it's still a very spiritual practice to continue to have those experiences and to kind of engage with them. And, and then eventually, you know, I retired from the military and then got out and, um, and continued exploring it. So it's, it's nothing that it, it's definitely something that um, I tried pushing away, I'd say, and in many times in my life, it's, it's a, you know, I'm like, this is enough. 
I need to focus on a career, you know, family, things like that, really focus on those things. And anytime that I did that, I felt something was missing my life. And, and so I continually, and then the dreams would amplify, you know, and kind of take over my life. And so in, in this tug of war with dreams, it became very apparent to me that they're an essential piece of my life and that they're not going away. So I have to engage and, you know, uh, where I am now, I'd say that dreams are, um, engaging with dreams on a symbolic level is probably the most important aspect of my spiritual practice. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I would say it's essential, not just a hobby anymore. So. Yeah, I love that. I, you know, I wonder why people are, are called to lucid dreams. I know for me, it's about uh, the healing journey. And of course that's a spiritual journey uh, that you know, interests me. Talk about the impact that dreams can have um, you know, in terms of health and spiritual growth and deepening awareness. Yeah, um, well, scientifically there's evidence that supports that lucid dreams are very positive for like people that have traumas. Um, so if they continually have nightmares, things like that, becoming lucid, having some type of awareness in a dream space can allow the individual to kind of communicate to the dream space and also um, have a different understanding of what the dream is trying to communicate. So you can, you could go into a dream and have a more, um, personal conversation with the say the dream characters or the objects that are producing the the terrifying experience or whatever you know is occurring so there's that and and in the case for me it was very much that way um trauma is not something that uh i don't think many of us living today really don't have so um, and some more than others. And oftentimes people that are drawn, you know, you, you said, I wonder what causes people to be drawn to lucid dreams, you know, and the commonality is uh, intense trauma as a, as a child is sometimes is, is usually common. So um, dreams, my dreams have been very traumatic too, uh, especially in sleep paralysis and those experiences. So um when engaging with that, it's been very healing because I'm able to face a uh, terrifying and traumatic experience, but have a level of awareness of that um, I can work through it and also to try to understand that, um, try to build a relationship with it versus just push it away. Um, and then taking that into the waking life, you know, a waking world, um, you can see where that's advantage has advantages because we experience traumatic experiences, especially people in the military and, um, and being able to see that similar to a dream and also how to engage with that in a different way and communicate that trauma that you're experiencing can uh, kind of allow it to pass through you in a much easier way versus holding on to it. Um, and I'm sure as somebody like yourself, that's uh, delved into like shamanism, things like that, and allowing things to flow through you versus like grasping onto it and um, holding it inside yourself and building, you know, building up is obviously has very healing properties to it. So uh, that can be experienced in a dream. So, um, and then 
building these relationships with you yourself symbolically, you know, like um, I've had dreams of different pieces of my body essentially communicating to me. And so I communicate to them and uh, have discussions and, and um, hear their stories in a way. And in doing so, I understand some of their struggles, you know, and also these personalities that make me up. And instead of seeing myself as just this one thing, you know, I see myself as this um, this body that contains spirit and also trillions upon trillions of cells, you know, and all working in conjunction to produce an action and some type of result. And um, so it's a it's a community. It's a it's a city. It's not a a person, you know. And when I under, when a person understands that, they understand that um, they have a great, tremendous uh, um, desire to do the actions of that community and really take pride in in those actions and try to uh, be the best person they possibly can. So I think there's a lot of moral, uh, you know, and ethical um, uh, guidance there, I guess, through dreams and and the symbolic. Uh, communication that they provide so um, dreams to me have very much extended outside of the dream and so I see much of life as a uh, as a dream as the great dream and and symbols that exist in dreams extend out into waking life as well and so um, you know dreams lucid dreams and dreams themselves have shown me a greater uh, version of reality I'd say a more holistic version so there's lots of healing in that i'd say yeah well that's you know my my interest uh very much is in trauma um and you said people with trauma are drawn uh to dreaming so i'm a trauma poster child in some ways, <laughs> but i'm also very much uh involved in the field of trauma and um i was thinking about I, I've uh, spent a fair amount of time in the Amazon and uh, particularly with the Achuar in, in uh, Ecuador. And every morning before sunrise, we would get up and uh, uh, drink this Waiusa tea uh, that makes you purge. Uh, so they would purge, not ayahuasca, but it's, a, it's a, just a cleansing, uh, purging. And, uh, and then they would share their dreams and their dreams would tell them what, what they were supposed to be doing that day. And actually, they're, they're a dream culture, and as are many shamanic cultures. And they're, they're really, their dreaming life is often seen as more important than the other dream, the waking life uh, that we're in. So I'm curious about, um, uh, you know, the moving between the 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 dream of what we call this reality, which is pretty insane right now, and <laughs> and the dream uh, that we're doing in the dark with our eyes closed. What's your thoughts about that? Yeah, I have many thoughts on that subject. Um, yeah, I had, I would agree with them that the the dream that we experience at night is actually a much greater. Uh, reality than the one that we're experiencing in waking life. Uh, it doesn't mean that you should try to, you know, um, use dreams to be having this like sense of escapism, you know, from reality, but in a sense, use dreams as a 
kind of a, a standing a stone to stand on as you experience uh, the world and that and understand that the world and waking reality and physical reality has a much important uh, is a is a highly uh, important aspect of your experience as a person you know so it's very important and and you should very much engage with it but um, but dreams have a place a role to play in our experience of reality and you know in I think our culture primarily is sick because of our disconnect between dreams and waking reality. And that those of us who engage more with dreams and learn the language and really dive deep into them and, and engage, you know, and take them for what they are, we see that very clearly and we heal. So there's a message to be said there, you know, that um, there's, there's something about uh, paying attention to dreams and using it to improve, you know, the waking experience um, there. So, yeah, I think um, a lot of our problems, you know, actually associate from that disconnect and our culture is driven to essentially push us away from dreams as much as possible. So, you know, the foods that we eat, uh, the things we engage with, and and how we engage with them are all essentially driven to push us away from taking dream experiences as in any way serious but yet it's funny because all those things that we essentially are creating are very much dreamlike and that we take pride in so like computer technology um what we're using right now is very dreamlike and uh the so you know the the movement towards these uh, concept of a virtual metaverse and things like that and digital items and things uh, they're <laughs> they're directly associated with dreams they're very very closely related so it's like virtual reality and things like that and you know we look at those things as very very profound and and neat technologies but the dream is is much more advanced than that and um, and then psychedelics uh, you know, there's a huge movement today for the legalization of psychedelics and the use of psychedelics to treat traumas and things like that. And a lot of people would see that as a positive, and I did before too. And I, I do think it'll help a lot of people. But in the same sense, it's kind of using, uh, it's trying to essentially put man up on a pedestal and say, look at look at this new technology that we made, and we can utilize it to essentially heal ourselves in the physical reality without building any connection to the, the spiritual world, especially through our dreams, which are, you know, readily available at all times. And so, you know, it's an interesting thing to think um, every night, essentially each one of us has the most profound realistic hallucination that we could possibly ever have on a psychedelic. And yet we pay no attention to them and then we go out and we seek things that essentially reproduce that, but in a way that we desire to have it reproduced. So it's, uh, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I think a lot of people will look at psychedelics as this um, pill that you take and essentially you're healed after you, you know, you take it. And they'll be uh, probably very surprised when they have their first experience and realize <laughs> it's not exactly 
the same medicine that you typically take um, from a doctor. And right. <laughs> so, um, you know, what yeah. occurs to me, Lee, is as you're as you're talking, the, the word that came up for me is um, uncertainty. And uh, in our waking world, we try to to uh, live in a certain world. You know, we want to have control. We want to uh, uh, know what's the outcome going to be. And the thing about both psychedelics and, you know, just uh, dreaming is that it's uns- you don't know where you're going. And there's Absolutely. a beauty to that. If we could learn to embrace uncertainty in our waking life, that would be kind of amazing. We would uh, discover a lot. And I think that I'd love to hear your thoughts about that uh, crossover and the relationship to awareness and focus and, um, you know, how we can bring those two worlds more together and perhaps open up greater vistas for our, uh, for a, a more transcendent experience of being alive. Yeah, I think, I think you hit the point there is that uncertainty is uh, definitely an aspect of dreams that isn't really found uh, many other places in such an extreme way. So um, any night, you know, that I go to sleep could be uh, the most beautiful or the most traumatic experience of my entire life. And, and it's definitely been the case for me where, especially when I'm really engaged in, in lucid um, uh, uh, practices and they tend to be very dramatic in their emotional experiences from night to night. And, and, and sometimes in such a way that it, it frightens me so much that I don't want to sleep, you know, like it's very traumatic. Sometimes I'm, I'm always focused. I'm oftentimes focused on the traumatic side because that's kind of what got me into this experience is like uh, sleep paralysis and anybody that's really ever had sleep paralysis can tell you of the realness of it and also the terror that they feel uh, in that experience and that with the things they see and everything. So um, you've mentioned that a couple of times. So I think it's important. I don't, I don't know that everybody sure, knows yeah. what sleep paralysis is. So sleep paralysis, um, when you go to sleep, your brain naturally puts you into a paralysis experience mode so essentially it paralyzes your body so you don't act out your dreams and sometimes people wake up during that process and they can experience the body physically falling asleep and some of the auditory and visual hallucinations uh, associated with what's called hypnogagia so that's kind of like the in-between state of dreaming and waking so uh, think of augmented reality but very real. So you see dream experiences in waking reality and hypnogagia and, um, and then you can't move. And so it can become very um, unsettling. You're seeing, literally paralyzed. You can't, <laughs> you can't yeah. move. You can't move. You can move your eyes because um, that's why they call it random eye movement is uh, REM uh, because your eyes can move back and forth and around so you can actually look at things but you can't you can't talk you can't move your arms you can't you can't do anything so um 
and a lot of people hear like sounds uh, like ringing bells, slamming doors. Um, they feel vibrations in their body. It feels like an, sometimes it feels like a train going by or you hear a train. All these kinds of different things are associated with uh, sleep paralysis and hypnogagia. So but it's not um, dangerous, right? No, it's it, there's never uh, been a case of somebody dying from it. <laughs> But we would really never know because um, they wouldn't tell us. But they did. <laughs> yeah, there was some cases in a, I think in a in a jungle or something like that where people were having um, what they think is heart attacks essentially from it. But it was because of a genetic um, possible genetic disorder that they had. And there's a good guy, a uh, good researcher. His name's Ryan Hurd. He's a friend of mine, and he's really uh, explored sleep paralysis extensively written books on it and so if anybody had questions he's a he's a good key person to reach out to and who i've reached out to when i <laughs> was younger and having those experiences too so didn't know what they were he helped me out a lot but um so you know if anybody has those experiences they realize pretty quickly that um dreams offer both beauty and uh hell you know <laughs> essentially heaven and hell in them and you can experience both. And, you know, I didn't really realize how um, I didn't see myself as like a, uh, uh, a strong person or courageous person with my dreams. I always identified myself as kind of like weak almost um, until I wrote my book and I shared it with people. And they've they read some of my experiences and they said, ah, uh, lucid dreams, not for me. You know, I don't want that. And I'm like, why? You know, like it's it's not a big deal and they just they're like i I'm, I'm not ready for that you know and and there's like kind of sayings you know and shamanism and as well as like the esoteric communities that um you know people are called essentially to this uh this subject you know they're called to engage with the, the other world um and not necessarily is the person kind of directing the story it's more of the the greater soul you know the uh the self as Jung would call it you know is is guiding us to this destination whatever it is so um so many many years ago i was studying uh shamanism uh with sandra ingerman then and um and became very close with her and i started having this dream quite often that this rattlesnake was biting me on the neck and it, it was recurrent. I had it like three nights in a row. And I called her up and I said, Sandy, I think I'm going to die. Uh, <laughs> because I keep having this dream. And she was laughing. She said, that's a very auspicious dream, you know. Think about the medicine that you're getting mm. there. And you know, it, it kind of reframed it for me. The dream stopped after that. But um, it all, it, it, you know, looking back on it, it was like a time when, uh, there was a real power shifting in my life and what I was doing. And it was, uh, you know, so I'm really interested in the prophetic aspects of dreams. Mm. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, there's, um, there's a few books written on it. Uh, there's a recent one in with inner traditions. I forget the, the name of the book. Um, uh, uh, and the author, unfortunately, <laughs> but he wrote a, a book about, 
prophetic dreaming and he showed a lot of evidence in it. So, so we will have to Google that one to figure out the name, but it's within our traditions. And um, so, you know, and there's, there is conversation about prophetic dreams and in the lucid dream community as well. And I've had a few dreams that seem very prophetic and one dream that I could share um, that I don't know if it would come true or not, but um, I dreamed that I, uh, I was at home. I was young when this happened and my sister came home and she was very upset and, and everybody was crying. And I was like, well, what, what happened? You know, what's going on? And they said uh, her boyfriend at the time had gone uh, skydiving and had died of the skydiving accident. And I was like, oh, wow, you know, and, and so I woke up and I was like, ah, maybe I should tell my sister, you know, just to be sure, you know, just okay, because it seemed very real. And so I told her, you know, I was like, I don't know, you know, what's going on, but I had this dream. And she said, I'm glad you told me because he was planning to go skydiving this weekend. And, and I had no idea, like, she never mentioned it to me. She wasn't really communicating to the whole family about her boyfriend happenings at the time, you know? (laughs) And uh, so she told him and he ended up not going. So um, because of that dream, you know, and I probably would do the same thing if somebody told me that I died in a, in an accident that I was planning to do and they had no idea that I was going to do that. I'd be like, yeah, I'm not doing that thing. So, you know, who really knows what that, the symbolism in there means, you know, I never really pulled that dream apart for myself. Um, but then I've had other uh, very strange dreams that have come with me throughout my life and seem equally as real and essentially about um, uh, cl- climatic type experiences with the world and things like that. And uh, some of them hidden. Uh, in symbolism, which I still don't really fully understand, but I keep my eyes open and, and others that are very uh, clear that don't seem to have any symbolism whatsoever. And so, you know, I am uh, cautiously looking around for the images that those dreams provide me. And so. um, Talk about dream analysis and, and uh, you know, I know you, uh, (laughs) Uh, rely a lot on Jung and some other people, but talk talk about how we can analyze our dreams and and uh, uh, learn from them. Yeah, um, well, you know, before Jung, many people were using dream dictionaries and things like that before Freud. And well, before them, really, we had forgotten our way with dreams and really didn't even pay attention to them. So they were kind of some of the more first um, uh, pioneers back into the dream world and kind of taking it seriously in the scientific community and in uh, with dream analysis. Except, for, except for indigenous people. Right, exactly. Yeah, the more Western scientific community right. um, aspect and, you know, uh, shamans as well as Native Americans and and different indigenous cultures throughout the world have used dreams, you know, since as long as we know as very important, but, um, you know, in, in Jung's work and Freud's work, they essentially kind of stepped away from this dream dictionary type analysis and 
put more of the pressure on the dreamer versus like the person analyzing the dream as being the one that tells what the meaning is in the dream. So kind of back into a more indigenous way. So, um, and Jung, so much more than Freud, um, kind of put this, uh, this dream symbolism kind of aspect to it. And in symbolism, uh, not necessarily meaning that um, there's like a universal meaning for every symbol in a dream, but more that there are universal kind of ideas that are created through in dreams and in the unconscious, but then because it's he included a collective unconscious, essentially all people are connected to this um, field of memory in a sense. And, but there's the individual as well, individuals uh, unconscious. And so the symbols can mean something to the individual and also another symbol can mean something universal. Um, I tend to kind of step away from that and say that they're both uh, accurate and that the, un the there's an unconscious, it's collective and uh, it's collective. It's not really personal. It can communicate to you personally, but it's, it's, a, it's a field that we're all part of. And, um, and the dream is able to essentially modify any image or experience that uh, you have in it to communicate uh, through language, essentially symbolic language, its intention. So, you know, a lot of uh, researchers or uh, psychologists, I'd say, would say that, you know, you just dream of random materials that you experienced in the day. And there's supporting evidence for that because oftentimes we dream of the things that we experienced throughout the day. And in me and other people that have taken this subject seriously, we see that that's true, but in, a, in that it's more of the dream using experiences that you've had to convey an, an important message. So it not necessarily is relaying the same information that you had that you experienced through the day, but it's taking that and uh, essentially putting like a wallpaper on something so it relates to you in a emotional way and meaningful way. So um, it doesn't mean that the, those experiences that it's conveying are its meaning. It could, it's a much deeper meaning. So um, say I dream of zombies or something like that, which is often uh, for me common. Um, so I dream of zombies and they're attacking me. Well, what does that mean? You know, zombies is kind of like a more modern day idea, you know, like a, the typical like brain eating zombie. And so I go, I could say, well, you know, I watched the scary movie and, and I dreamed of zombies because of that, you know, the end of the story. But if I go, well, what were the zombies trying to communicate to me? You know, what is a zombie? A zombie is something that is unsatisfied with life. It does, devours everything in its way. It has no emotion. It cares less, you know? And so I could see um, maybe some aspect of myself that's zombie-like. And then how can I communicate to the zombie? You know, like, uh, what are the things that I'm desiring that have no emotional context to them? What am I desiring that's unsatisfying me in life? And, um, and then you could step and take another step forward and have a lucid dream 
with a zombie. So uh, one example is in my book where I have a lucid dream, I essentially have an out-of-body experience, and I'm walking down my hallway and I turn around and there's a zombie and it's coming at me. And typically, you know, I'd, I'd run away from the zombie or try to get away from it. But this time I, I just bowed my head down and I was go and I was like, do whatever you want to do, you know, get it over with. And so it crunched in my skull and it ate my brain. And then it was silent, you know, there's nothing going on. So I looked up and the zombie is still in front of me. And I said, well, why don't you sit down with me? And so the zombie sat down with me and as it did, it turned into a copy of myself. So I was looking at a, a mere image of myself and I said, well, what's going on? You know, what, what's the problem? And it said, I'm unsatisfied. And I go, what are you unsatisfied about? And I said, I'm unsatisfied. And then I look over and there's another zombie walking towards us in the hallway. And I got up and I said, hey, you know, sit down with us. And so it sat down and then it too was a copy of myself. So now there's three of me and the two zombies, they take out wires from each other and exchange them with each other. And then as if they're like rewiring themselves and they merged into one and then they merged into me and I woke up. And so there's a lot to unpack in that dream yeah. as there is with any dream, <laughs> but I could see immediately the clear message of this thing is a mental expression of me being unsatisfied in life, you know, and that I need, and the rewiring of those things is essentially it kind of repairing itself, it making new connections, you know, of what that means and then coming into me and, and becoming one versus these segregated aspects of myself. Beautiful. And there's like the Trinity and all that stuff associated with that too. So it's a very deep dream. I think one of the, as I remember, it's been a long time, but as I remember in reading Jung, he would give voice to each, not just each person, but every, like the river and the mountain. And uh, talk about that. It's been a while since I've read that. <laughs> uh, the idea of giving a voice, um, you know, taking the separate parts, say I'm uh, at a, um water slide park and i slide down and and then i get on a dolphin and i ride the dolphin and i'm in the ocean and then somebody catches me and i get pulled up onto the boat you know the boat the ocean all of those things mm -hmm. having a different message yeah. yeah yeah well um you know if you look at those images and those things in your dreams as also you you know then it it changes things. So the zombie's me, right? And it has its own voice. Um, and and the objects in there too are, are you in a sense. They have a relationship to you. So giving them the voice and allowing them to express themselves um, allows for that communication to take place. So, you know, if, if I sit down with a friend of mine and I'm the one talking the whole time, time or even a podcast, it becomes very dull very quickly. So you want to be able to allow for the other person to express some of their knowledge, express what they're feeling so that you can get feedback from it. Um, you know, I'm not necessarily good at that in a lucid dream because I typically take the perspective of observe, observing 
and not really engaging so much with the, the world as I'm looking at it. But um, an example of kind of giving voice would be in like a, in a psychedelic experience that I had. Um, I was uh, had used ayahuasca and um, I felt a very real voice inside myself uh, as a as a lady essentially turning a cauldron, a giant cauldron. And as she, and, uh, and she spoke to me and she said that, um, she's the reason why I get sick. You know, like I feel ups, upset in my stomach because ayahuasca is a, it's a purgative. And so it makes you want to, you know, purge out your know, materials from your body. And I, I don't want to do that. You know, as a Westerner, it's, it's very unsettling to throw up, you know, essentially. And so I was like, stop making me sick. And she goes, uh, I, I make you sick so you can heal, you know, like I want you to heal. So, and she kept turning her cauldron faster and faster. And as she did, then I got, you know, sicker and sicker. And, and I've oftentimes forget about her and until I'm sick again. And, and then she comes right back and she's there and she's very real and she communicates and she's like, Oh, hi, you know? And, I'm like, oh, I forgot all about you, but here you are again. So, um, so I call her the turning lady. But um, and in other dreams, you know, I've had uh, this similar things where my younger self will be in there, and there will be kind of parents taking care of my younger self and communicating to me as well uh, about the whole experience. And so, and and I'd say, you know, in a lucid state it's a lot easier to kind of uh, have these personalities as individuals and communicate to them so that's kind of maybe the advantage but um in waking reality more recently i've i've given notice to myself kind of doing what you were saying about young as like giving objects a sense of alive you know a sense of being alive versus just um dead material you know so looking oh, the, at stars, the, the shamanic practices are all animistic. Everything has a spirit mm. that's pretty consistent with that. I want to make sure we get the to talk about preparation, like focus and building awareness and practices to improve our memory of dreams. So can, can we shift a little bit over there okay. and start talking about, OK, how do we do this and what do we need to do to get ready to do it? Yeah, I think, um, you know, a lot of mental preparedness is important, being um, in a good space where you can experience some uh, troubling things as well as some positive things. So being a little bit more grounded in your life, most likely, you know, in a good uh, situation with that. Um, that's, I think that's important. Um, but basic things that you can start doing is essentially dream journaling is a great way to have this uh, engagement with the dreams and recall dreams better. Um, I think having a physical dream journal versus a digital one is also important because it's all, I've really found that it, it's a lot about sacrifice and ritual. So the more energy and more time you put into um, something, uh, deeming it as important in your life, the more that the, the dream world will engage with you. So taking the time out of your day to actually write down your dreams to communicate about them with other people, um, to reflect on it throughout the day. Those are, I think, really important to give um, give the, the dream uh, 
it's due, you know, and also have it recognized that this is important and it it's a good positive way to communicate to you. And that will allow it to open up and also you to recall your dreams more often. Um, you know, oddly enough, being healthy is actually kind of detrimental to dream to lucid dream experiences too, because there's a, well, there's a lot of controversial about it. Uh, but, um, to me, I believe that when somebody is sick, usually they experience dreams more often because they're trying to use that, uh, modality to heal themselves. So, um, being kind of having dreams increase suddenly, things like that may be an indicator that you're physically, uh, something's not right too. One of you, you said in your book was about the default, uh, network mode Mm -hmm. or mode network. And that your book was talking about enhancing that and in looking at transcendence, that's one of the barriers to transcendence of self. So I was really curious about how those two went together because the default mode network and the right parietal brain to get into a transcendent state, they actually need to be pushed down in a way. And you're saying in dreaming that we want to, at least the default mode network, maybe you can explain how that works. Yeah, I would, I would agree with actually you. Um, so I, I, I'm pretty sure in my book, I said that it has to be like there's a normal way that the brain quote unquote normal way the brain works which is the default mode network that's really all that means and when that gets altered in some way essentially changes our consciousness so um psychedelics modify the default mode network meditation modifies the default mode network dreams modify it too because they're all related so any time that that's kind of pushed in a different direction then essentially we're altered and we allow different materials to come into us. I think the brain is a receiver more than a trans transceiver. So it uh, receives information. And so you're essentially altering the receiver in some way, allowing for different content to come in. Mm-hmm. So um, in lucid dreams, you know uh, I would say it's the same way, but in a sense, um, improving awareness during the day uh, in a sense, I guess would be strengthening that as well. But somehow when you become more aware of your environment and how things are through focusing your attention and, um, and allowing essentially thoughts to be very precise, it somehow allows for these experiences to happen more often. I don't, really understand that fully of how neurologically that's happening but um but either way that's kind of the case so um dream journaling things like that essentially is it's doing many things it's allowing the uh i'd say the unconscious to recognize that you're interested that you're willing to communicate in this fashion you want to listen and also at the same time it's um building um um uh gosh i can't think of the word uh it's building discipline and focus and on a specific thing and when you build discipline and focus that opens up a lot of different aspects of consciousness so um that's how they i think they're tied together it's interesting looking at trauma work 
it's like people are when they first come into trauma work they want to get rid of something mm -hmm. and so that process of trying to get rid of something is actually what often keeps it in place because <laughs> i want to be somewhere other other than where i am so i'm always in the place that would be the ideal place but i'm never bringing awareness to the place I actually am. So it can't integrate, it can't uh, uh, develop. And um, so I'm interested in this whole area of awareness. And also um, one of the things that you were talking about is how lucid dreaming can Im actually improve your memory, which of course is a big issue for many people these days. So how about those, those two areas? Can you <laughs> speak to them a little? Yeah, well, um, having, you know, awareness in the dream space, when you're confronted with uh, trauma, um, you can, if, if you have the position of uh, still being you and seeing the other object as something else other than you, you can engage with it in a different way. So, um, you know, if, if these emotions were in your head, say, say I'm frustrated, you know, I'm, I'm constantly agitated and I, and it's just in me and that's how I experience reality. And, and, you know, I, I can recognize that I'd like to get rid of that, but I don't know what that is trying to say to me, you know, um, that's for most people. Some people may have a higher awareness and be like, oh, you know, what is this emotion? Where is it coming from? What is it trying to say? all these different things. And I'd say that that is kind of like having lucid awareness while you're awake. Um, but most of us are sleeping when we're awake too. So <laughs> oddly enough. Um, but if you're in a lucid state, you can have that separation. That emotional object actually can take form as a person. And and then you are you seemingly are separate from it. And you can have a conversation with that emotion as a person, you can say, well, what are you trying to do? Why are, why do you feel this way? You know, tell me more, you know, get it all out. And in the communication, maybe there could be some healing uh, happen there, or you could um, at least identify it for what it is, you know, it's some type it of. It seems like that that could help in improving your neuroception, your feelings or ability to feel safe or unsafe, your awareness of it. If you were absolutely. Doing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, memory wise too, you know, um, I don't know really the science behind the memory improvements of lucid dreaming. Um, but you're definitely engaging the brain in a different way. And that has been shown through, uh, many studies. So, um, it's been shown that people that are lucid dreamers primarily have like a more developed, I think, frontal cortex, so that's like the reasoning, I think. And, um, but, you know, the science on that, I think it's very, uh, very poor still. So I, I, and I couldn't say that that is uh, a result of lucid dreaming. It may be just how it is. And then people that have that can lucid dream because they essentially have that um, bigger area of that brain or something, you know, it's hard to say. Well, how, how can mindfulness and, I'll call it orderliness or lack of chaos. Uh, how can that help us? It helps us in our daily life. How 
how can that does that impact our dreams oh absolutely um for me you know like having uh you know even though i was in the military um and spent a good portion of my life doing that and and they promote discipline as being you know a the key component of the military um i've still felt that i was a very undisciplined person and so i spent a the last year essentially trying to build discipline and in doing so the dreams have shifted in a way that i would i wouldn't expect so they're mer- they're much more clear uh in their communication uh i can focus on aspects of the dreams clearer than i could before and so these aren't uh these tools that you learn through mental discipline and focus don't necessarily just uh, affect your waking life because obviously that is uh, important for getting things done, you know, in your work, but in a dream experience, it transfers and does similar things, you know, it allows you to see things indifferently. It allows the communication to be more precise, allows emotions to not be as chaotic um, as they typically would. It allows you to be much more of a receiver and a communicator than you would in dreams is, you know, typically for most people, it's one-way communication. You know, you're not able to communicate to the dream. And also um, I've noticed my dreams being much more uh, teaching involved. And so I believe that dreams contain uh, spiritual guides in them. And my dreams, I'd say predominantly now are guides coming to me and teaching me how to do things in dream spaces that I never would have been taught before. Um, how those transfer to waking life, I, I don't really know, <laughs> but um, but they seem very important to dreams and and those uh, spirits or whatever you want you'd like to call them seem to be very interested in teaching me those things now too. So uh, with that, I'm just going to continue to train my discipline as more and more as I go forward. Yeah. One of the things that, um, particularly in the current environment of chaos and COVID and uh, climate change, is uh, my my uh, teacher Gabrielle Roth. I taught five rhythms, still do uh, for many decades, and uh, she used to say we're schizophrenic. Our mind is doing one thing, our body is doing another, and our emotions are doing another. And I find in my work with trauma, that's very much the case. I'm wondering how the mental, the physical and, um, and emotional and spiritual alignment can be enhanced through our practice of lucid dreaming. Yeah, uh, well, um, that's a good question. Uh, you know? Yeah, it, well, I think it plays into, I mean, I. I no longer really think of dreams and waking experiences as different in any sense. I think it's, it's essentially one thing happening. Um, we see it different because of the, the mode that we see the experience in, but it's essentially the same thing. So it's one story versus a many stories. So, um, you know, typically when people, have their day they don't think um 
why is this happening to me? You know, what is it trying to tell me? Things like that, you know. Um, say you're on your computer and your computer just starts wigging out and you don't really understand why. Um, I tend tend to say, well, why is this happening? What What is it trying to tell me? You know, what is a story as if I'm a character in a story? You know, I'm I'm a book being written or I'm, I'm a book experiencing itself already that's already written. So I go, well, what's the character? You know, what's going on in the character right now? What is the environment trying to do to the character? Push it, you know, to do something. And, and just so in doing that, kind of playing that game, I realized that that for me is a much healthier way of seeing reality. And so the things I'm interested in, I instead of saying, I'm interested in this thing, I say, well, why, what is causing me to be interested in this thing now? You know, like, where is the story taking me with this thing? And so it, you know, and in doing so, it's, it's been very different. You know, it's different than what people see today. And, and the chaos, it, it evaporates when that, when you get to that point, because yeah. you no longer see things that's just random happenings of chaos and, and nothing makes sense. You go, well, it makes sense. You know, the chaos is, is part of the story, you know, it's, it's there to push. I me. hate to say it, but we we're running out of time here. <laughs> Lee Adams. I'm just thrilled to have you on. And I, I know we could talk for about 10 more hours, but I wanted to plug your book, lucid dreaming <laughs> and methods for working with the deep dream state. And uh, also if people want to get a hold of you, they can go to taileaters.com. Is that accurate? That's that's accurate. Yeah, great. Well, it's so good to be with you. And hey, too. Thank you for this great book. I <laughs> really enjoyed it and enjoyed uh, our conversation together. Thank you. It's been great. We Earth Radio is an independently produced program supported by listeners like you. We are committed to bringing you leading edge thinkers in the areas of environmental restoration, social justice, conscious evolution, and spiritual fulfillment. If you would like to receive our complimentary newsletter, The Well of Light, make a contribution, or listen to any of our past shows, go to our website, welloflight.com. Thank you so much for your commitment to a world that works for all life.